Have you heard? Amazon is now hiring for their new site opening soon in New Albany. Be one of the first to take advantage of launching a new career at one of the best workplaces in the world. Being a part of Amazon includes great benefits and competitive pay, plus many opportunities for advancement. So get a new job today and kickstart a new career tomorrow. Learn more about the perks of working at a new Amazon site. Go to amazon.com slash start now. Amazon is proud to be an equal opportunity employer. At Boost Mobile, you get the power of the iPhone SE when you switch, which means the power to stream your favorite shows, download all the music, the power to FaceTime your ex. It's over. Stop calling me. On second thought? Don't call your ex. Switch now and get an iPhone SE for $0, all on one of America's largest 5G networks. More power to save. Boost Mobile. Free phone limited to new customers in one per line. Excluding tax. Additional restrictions apply. 5G not available everywhere. See BoostMobile.com for details. And stop calling your ex. She doesn't want to hear from you anymore. And welcome back to the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell. We're coming to you from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. If you would like to send me an email, exxon at exxonradiotv.com on all social media sites, Exxon Radio TV. And we're coming to you tonight around the world on the Exxon Broadcast Network, iHeartRadio, Xeno Media, and of course, Simul Radio and Simul TV. My guest this hour is Calvin Parker, and on October the 11th, 1973, 19-year-old Calvin Parker and his friend, 42-year-old Charles Hickson, were spending a frustrating evening on the Pascagoula River in Mississippi. Both men loved to fish, but tonight's fishing trip would turn out to be the one they would never forget. Joining me now to tell us the story is Calvin Parker, and Calvin, welcome to the X-Zone. Thank you. Good to be here. Calvin, what happened on the night of October the 11th, 1973? But before you tell me, I, I can fully understand how frustrating fishing can be at times. Well, I know I do it on a regular basis, too. <laughs> we were, uh, we had just got off work, and for an October night, it was hot that day. It was probably in the 90s, mm -hmm. 100 degree humidity. So we decided to go fishing and just kind of cool down for a little bit. We uh, went to uh, Charlie's house, picked up the fishing equipment, left, and drove over to Paspagula to the uh, old Shaw Peter shipyard, which used to be a grain elevator there, that when they had unloaded the grain, the fish would come up and eat the grain, and they, that was a pretty easy target, we thought. Yeah. But... Uh, that was the first time I had been there. But anyhow, we we got there and we unloaded the car and we walked through a lot of debris. It had been flooding. The river had got up and it washed all this debris up on the banks and all. And I was thinking to myself, why don't they clean this mess up? Mm -hmm. but Charlie had told me later that the flood water brought all this stuff in from different places. And uh, it was really a mess. So time we walked down there, it was a good 15, 20-minute walk just struggling through the trash and the debris and the marsh grass. We got there, and we sat down, and we started fishing. And I was looking over across the river, 
and there was a big Coast Guard cutter, and it was made out of steel. And I was thinking to myself, I wonder how all this floats. This thing's made out of steel, you know. It, it's hard to believe that steel yeah. floats. Well, about the time I was thinking that, I seen some lights from behind me coming across the water. It was kind of a blue, hazy-looking light. And I thought, yeah, we're trespassing. Charlie done got us in trouble because we're down here at an old abandoned shipyard, not supposed to be here fishing. And it did have a no trespassing sign up. So uh, I stood up and turned around and looked, and immediately I seen it wasn't the law there. It was uh, some kind of crap, but the lights opened up then. It was a real bright, bright blue-looking light. Uh, it was almost so bright it was blinding and uh, it was just shocking you know when they first seen it and I looked around to see if I could find a place to run or get away from it mm-hmm. and there was water on the left water on the right and of course there was water in the front and there was a lot of debris in the water right there where the old pier had been falling in but it wasn't just a second it was three beings of some kind and they was probably halfway to us before I could make out any anything about them because the lights were so bright, you know, you just quenching your eyes. But uh, two of them come up, and three of them came up. Two of them got a hold of Charles Hicks, and then one got a hold of myself. And immediately, when they got grabbed her arm or grabbed my arm, I don't know about his, but immediately. I just got relaxed. It was like they gave me some kind of injection. Oh, no. So, yeah, I mean, but, you know, it took the fear away. So that helped because it, it was kind of scary right there for a minute. So when they grabbed the arm, I just immediately relaxed. But I was levitated up. And the only thing I could do was think, how, how does this keep from breaking my arm off? But, uh we went back across this trash. We we was floating probably two foot off the ground, and we just cruised across the top of this trash, you know. And I couldn't see Charlie because I couldn't turn my head. I couldn't couldn't do nothing but just look straight ahead. So you were basically you were kind of paralyzed. I I was paralyzed. Wow. Yes, sir. I because I caught myself wanting to turn around and look and sure. see somebody was with me or if Charlie was there or what else was going on, but I couldn't, but my memory was good. I mean, I could see really good and it just took us aboard a craft and immediately I took, he took a left turn and then another right turn and I was in a uh, little room and they laid me on a table. I say they laid me on a table. I don't know if it was a table or not. I don't know if we just suspended there. Mm-hmm. But I figured they, it was probably a table at about a 45-degree angle. And by this time, I was looking straight up at the ceiling, and I still couldn't roll my head anyway. I was still fairly relaxed. And something came out of the ceiling about the size of a deck of cards, and it got to my head. And it clicked on the front, it clicked on the side, clicked at the back of my head, clicked on the other side, then it went back into the ceiling. It was four clicks there. And this 
big ugly thing that was standing there in front of me, and I, I, I figured he was a robot or a soldier of some kind. As he knows he was big and ugly. He just left the room, and when he did, this smaller humanoid creature came out, uh, or I call it a creature. You know, she. I don't think. I think it was a she. Not for sure, but this smaller being came out, mm-hmm. and she had her hands and started grabbing hold of my face and pulling around and looking and examining. I, I call it an examination and feeling the skin and everything. Well, I couldn't feel. Normally, you would think that you could feel the temperature or a little pain, but uh, I couldn't feel no feelings in mm. my face. It's kind of like they give you a, uh, the dentist would give you a shot to numb everything. But uh, she did that, and then she made like a little glunk, glunk, glunk noise. And uh, the big ugly one come in and was standing there. Well, I started kind of getting a little afraid again. And it was just like she had said it, but her mouth didn't move. She said, there's nothing to be afraid of. And I just calmed down, I guess. I don't know why it calmed me, but it was just good to hear him say something. But the whole time I was laying there, I was thinking, you know, I could probably, if I could move, I could take her, I could grab her around the neck, and we'll run out this door, and I'll have me, whoever this is, and make him do some answering. So anyhow, she went back into another little room, and the big ugly one was there, and he grabbed me by the arm and floated me back out to the river. And he put me down facing the river. I was standing in standing motion with my arms stretched out across the river. And this is uh, when I heard Charlie Calvin. Calvin, you okay, son? You okay? And I heard that plane, and I turned around and looked to see what was happening. Well, they was already on their way back to the ship and got into the ship. I mean, just in a few seconds there. And the door closed and a real bright light left and went away. And then that thing just kind of made a little zipping noise and picked up off the ground and left. I mean, you just really couldn't see it. It's so fast. How long do you figure it? you were, you know, from the time you first saw this craft to the time that they returned you? How, How long do you think the time period was? Well, I didn't have a watch or anything, but the moon was pretty bright, and I just estimated probably around 45 minutes, maybe an hour at the most. All right, Calvin, stand by, my friend. You and I have to take our break at the bottom for this uh, segment. Exxon Nation, our guest this hour is Calvin Parker, and he is the author of a book called Pascagoula, The Close Encounter. Fascinating story. We're going to find out more about this encounter and what happened in the days, weeks, months, and years that followed. This is the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell. We're coming to you from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't forget, you can always uh, find out what we're up to by going to our website at www.exxonradiotv.com and check us out on Simul TV in the Exxon TV channel by going to www.simultv.com. Calvin Parker and I return on the other side of this break. Don't go away.
We're going back in time uh, for a few minutes, Exxon Nation. We're going back to October the 11th, 1973, when our guest this hour was 19 years old. He was fishing with his buddy, uh, and uh, his name is Charles Hickson. Something very strange, unusual happened, as you heard in the first segment. Now, Charles, when we last left, you were you told us that you estimated that the time from the time, you know, the entire encounter was about forty-five minutes. Now, what happened when you came to and Charles was there? What did you guys do? Well, first thing Charlie wanted to do, he said, "Well, we got to go tell somebody." Mm-hmm. But well, the first thing we did, we sat down and tried to collect our thoughts for a minute because you know, it was both pretty shaken up. Right. And then Charlie said, well, we got to go tell somebody. I said, no, I don't believe we need to tell nobody nothing. Let's just kind of keep this to ourselves. We'll go home. We'll get up in the morning. We'll go to work because people's not going to believe it. And their markets is crazy. And we'll both be run out of the whole city here. So he said, well, we got to tell somebody. I said, well, we'll think about it, but I'm not telling nobody. I'm denying the whole thing if sure. you tell anybody, Charlie. So we got up, we made her gathered up our fishing equipment mm-hmm. and made our way back to the car. And immediately when we got to the car, I noticed the window on the passenger side was shattered. But it was in place, but it was shattered just being held in place. Huh. And I'm thinking, boy, this is bad here because that was a brand new car and I didn't like that. So Charlie went to open the door and the window fell out or he might have knocked it on out to get in there or something. But anyhow, the window fell out. We got in the car. We was having a lot of trouble cranking it. Hmm. Eventually, we got it cranked. And and I went to pull out and uh, we got back up on Highway 90 and went toward... uh, a little store that had a payphone. He said, we got to call somebody. He said, I'm going to call Kiesler. I'm not going to tell him who we are, but I'll call Kiesler. I said, well, do not tell him who we are or nothing. Now, who's Kiesler? So, uh, Kiesler is an Air Force base oh, in Biloxi. Okay. So anyhow, he got out and he, we found a couple of dimes because mm-hmm. there weren't no cell phones in and we didn't have... Uh, a watch or nothing. All we had was a dime for the payphone. Right. So he called them up and they told him, look, we don't deal with this stuff no more. There's no more Project Blue Book. There's no more investigating UFOs. You need to call the local authorities. So he hung the phone up. And if I had known he was just going to call the local authorities in, I would have pulled off and left him at the phone. Charlie went ahead and dropped a dime. I was sitting in the car and called the sheriff's department. So they told him for us not to leave, just to sit there till they got there. Because they figured, you know, they got two drunk rednecks over here <laughs> just dreaming up a story. So when they pulled up, there was two of them pulled up in the car. Mm-hmm. One went to each side of the car, and they looked in the car. Then they asked us to step out. Well, they did a sobriety test, you know, where you jump up and down on one foot, bend yep. over backwards and touch your nose. Yeah. And uh, we went through all that. I felt like a fool after jumping up and down. But they decided we were sober enough to drive because he told 
He said, get in your car and follow us to the sheriff department. So we got in our car and we started following him back to the sheriff department. Well, I told Charlie, I said, you idiot. We, you know, we, I thought we had talked about this. I don't want to, uh, I didn't want to tell nobody. He, well, we got to tell somebody we got to. Right. So anyhow, when we got to the sheriff department, they got us out of the car. They took him in one room and they took me into another room. And, uh, at that time, you know, they started interrogating him separate than what they was interrogating me. And I mean, they was an interrogation there and they even told me, you know, look, if this is a hoax, you're going to spend a lot of time in jail. Well, I was 19 years old. I, I didn't know the difference in a hoax or I didn't even know what the hell they was talking about. So they put us in the same room then. And when they put us in the same room, they uh, had a tape recorder, I guess, that they hid in this room. Yeah. And they was taping our conversations. Now, neither one of us knew this recorder was in. And later out, uh, later on, you know, that's what we're going to refer to the secret tape. And uh, they just left us in there by ourselves for a few minutes. And we sat there and talked to each other. Matter of fact, you know, we was both scared to death and Charlie was handling it better than I was cause he done been to North Korea and all and, uh, you know, kind of trained sure. for stuff like this. And I hadn't much been off the farm, but, uh, anyhow, we talked in a few minutes, the big sheriff come in and they walked in there and got the, uh, something out of the drawer. I didn't see what they had got out, but it was the tape. They wouldn't have done and listened to it. So that, when they got through listening to it, the sheriff come in and he seen him talk to the deputies for a second. And he walked in and he said, y'all can go on home now. So I turned around and I said, uh, Sheriff Diamond, please don't tell nobody about this. I don't want nobody to know this is, you know, kind of a personal deal. And Charlie said, yeah, we don't want nobody to know. So anyhow, the sheriff said, I'm not in the business of publicity and I'm not telling nobody nothing. So we left and went home. Sure. We went on and I guess it was somewhere around 11, 12 o'clock. Like I say, neither one of us had a watch, so we didn't know what time it was. I got in and all the way home, I was worried about being contaminated either with radiation or bacteria or something on my clothes mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, I could give to somebody else. And I even brought it up to Charlie two or three times and he didn't seem too worried about it. He kept saying, well, we'll just take care of it tomorrow. I thought, well, you know, you're the first, we done killed and we are, we done wiped out half of Pascagoula here, your family and the sheriff's department and everybody else. But anyhow, we went home. I pulled all my clothes off. I went to my room, pulled my clothes off, put them in a bag, put my shoes in a bag tied them up, took them outside, throw them in a dumpster and come back in, took a shower and bleach. So the next morning we got up and went to work. Well, when we went in, I noticed it was more cars at the shipyard. We was working for the F.B. Walker and Son shipyard. And I noticed it was more cars around there than usual. Mm -hmm. But I didn't think nothing of it. I said, well, you know, 
They just got something going on. And uh, we went on to our workstations. It wasn't just a few minutes. Uh, they sent someone from the office down there to get us. And they said, Calvin Parker and Charles Hickson, y'all need to come to the office immediately. Well, I, I had that weak stealing in my stomach. And I had met one of my neighbors, and he was actually the foreman. I didn't, I didn't even know he lived over here, but he was actually the foreman at the shipyard then. And uh, he said, I remember you getting on your hands and knees out in the parking lot throwing up. And I did. So I, I knew that's how, that he knew I was there. So we went to the office, and they said, we've got to, we're going to have to do something. These phones is ringing. We can't conduct business in here. What happened? So they went and they had their attorney that was there. And the reason he was there for, I don't, well, I don't know, I guess for press releases and stuff, because they called him and got him in. And uh, we told him why, what had happened. And the press had got a hold of it. I don't know how, but it, this place was swarming hmm. so the attorney arranged for us to go to the hospital then he arranged for us to go to the air force base to get checked for radiation first thing we did though they loaded us in a patrol car and took us to the hospital while we was there they did a pretty thorough examination took blood and everything and uh the only regret i have most of all their records were destroyed when Katrina hit because oh, they didn't, no. didn't back nothing up on the disc. I mean, we was able to come up with a few of them, but not many. Right. And then uh, we left there, and they put us in a car, and they drove us to Keesler. And there was probably, I don't know exactly how many, but I'd say four or five people standing out there with suits on, radiation suits, and they got us, separated us, took the guider mm -hmm. counters and went over us and all. And I heard one of them say, well, you know, they don't have no radiation to amount to anything. So they said, now y'all come in here to a meet. And that's when they had a escorted us to the conference room in there. And uh, it was quite a few people. They listed in the book and the minutes of that meeting is in this book. And it was quite a few uh, officials in there. All right, so we, uh, Calvin, we're just going to have to do a bit of a cliffhanger here because I have to take my break. Fascinating story. Calvin, I, you know, it's great having you with us, and uh, we look forward to continuing this story and your encounter on the other side of this break. Exonation, my guest this hour is Calvin Parker, and he's the author of the new book, Pascagoula, The Close Encounter, and we'll both be back on the other side of this break as we continue here in the Exxon from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away.
Exonation, my guest this hour is Calvin Parker. He is the author of Pascagoula, The Closest Encounter. This book is available on Amazon.com right now. And I must tell you, over the 29 years of doing this show, I've had many people who have claimed to have close encounters, uh, who have claimed to, you know, see Bigfoot or the, 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 the spectrum. But I must tell you something, listening to Calvin, he's got me right there. You're very believable, Calvin. Well, thank you. Uh, and there's one thing in the book. We have so much documentation right. that it would stand up in a court of law if we had a was in a trial over it or something. We have a polygraph test. We have voice stress test. We have hypnosis. We have the sheriff's department tapes. Mm-hmm. And uh, I even had a long hypnosis session with Bud Hopkins. And that was the strangest thing because I never thought he hypnotized me. And then uh, Philip was able to get his hands on the uh, original tape. Right. You know, Bud had died, and David Jacobs was uh, taking care of that. So he called and asked if I'd sign a release for the publisher, and I did. Mm -hmm. But I knew in 93 that I had went up, and this was a good while. And the reason for going, I was missing some time there, and it was really bothering me. And I knew that uh, Philip had written a book on missing time. I mean, uh, excuse me, Bud Hopkins. Mm -hmm had written a book on missing times and I wanted to talk to him and I knew he was in a conference in Florida and I knew I could probably, I had a friend with me. We could slip in there and he could tell him I wanted to see him without nobody seeing me in this conference. Sure. Cause I, I didn't want to be seen. I didn't want to talk to people. Now let's, before we get to the conference, what happened at the air force base? Oh, they had a meeting mm-hmm. and that lasted probably an hour and a half and the minutes of that are in the meeting and believe it or not I hadn't even completely read all that part myself Philip just injected them in but uh, when they got through they said you know they didn't say well we believe you or we don't believe you they said uh, why don't y'all go on and we'll be back in touch well that was pretty much the last we heard of okay so what happened in in a nutshell between the time you left the Air Force to the time that you decided that hey something is wrong? I I and you read the book uh, by uh, or you heard about Bud Hopkins? He was in Florida. What happened in that period of time? Well, Doctor, uh, well, John Allen Heineck, Doctor Heineck right. came down. Him and Doctor Harder, mm-hmm. and they visited with us a couple of days. And uh, they actually, Dr. Harder actually hypnotized Charles Hickson. Mm-hmm. And they tried me and he got me in and they had to bring me back because, you know, I was scared. And he said he didn't want to take the chance. So they spent a couple of days and when they left, they just told the media outside because the media was, I mean, they was dead on us then. They said, well, you know, if these two men are acting, they should be in Hollywood because they're the best actors I have ever seen. Right. So uh, after uh, after that, I pretty much just left and went to, back to my hometown, Laurel, Mississippi. I didn't care if I had a job or what I had down here. And I did hear from Dr. Heineck one time before. He had called 
and asked some questions, but he had had such a hard time getting a hold of me. People don't realize cell phones hadn't been around all this time, and the only time you got around the phones when you got to a home phone. And usually you was on a party line, and you had about six people listening in. <laughs> yeah, I remember those. <laughs> so, I know, used to, we'd leave going out, and you'd see every your phone would ring. You had one or two rings, and you had a certain ring, and they'd have to answer. And then if you picked it up and was going to talk, you'd hear about seven more clicks picking yeah. up and listening <laughs> in to you. So I didn't like talking that much on the phone. Right. But I did take a call from uh, Dr. Heine, and um, we was planning on getting back together again. He said, I, I really need to talk to you. And then that's the last I heard of him. I don't know what happened. If, uh, maybe he got busy. I don't even know when he passed away. So anyhow, we left it at that. And I went home, and then I got another job, started working. And one day I left going fishing, and I told my wife, I said, you know, I'll be back uh, by 3 o'clock this evening. I'm going to the uh, Cat Island. I'm going to do a little bit of fishing, and I'll be back before dark. Well, she fixed me a lunch, and I got in the boat, and I left. It's about an hour trip over there. And when I got there, I remember starting to fish, and it was probably before noon because I was sitting there thinking about, well, I'll just go ahead and eat my old lunch. Mm -hmm. And next thing I knew, it was 3 in the morning. And that like to drove me crazy. Where wow. in the world did this time go to? Exactly. And I woke up. It was around three o'clock, and I said, "Well, I got to get home." So I, I tried to run in, you know, the best you can at night on that water. And uh, when I got there, I found a payphone. I called the house and told her I'd be in. She said, "Well, I thought you was gonna be in at this time." I said, "Well, I did too," but anyhow. That really bothered me, and I, I lost a lot of sleep for quite a while, you know, wondering about what happened at that time, because that, that's not right. So that's when I decided I heard that Bud Hopkins had a book out, Missing Time, mm -hmm. and I said, well, I'm either going to buy the book or go see Bud Hopkins. Well, I, Charlie had called me in the meantime. And he had always tried to get me to go to these little conferences in different places, and I wouldn't go. Well, well, there's a conference in Florida. And he was telling me who the speakers were and what was going on. I said, okay, Charlie. He said, well, I'm not going to be able to make it. Why don't you go? I said, I don't want no publicity. I do not want to go. So anyhow, unknowing to him, I got my car, and I left. It's about a 12-hour drive. And I met a friend over there, and I said, now, look, you're going to go in there. You're going to find Bud Hopkins, and he knows my name, I think. Tell him that Calvin Parker wants to talk to him. So Bud came out. He was fixing to walk onto a stage and give a speech, but he came outside where I was, and I said, Bud, I need to talk to you bad. He said, well, let me get my little lecture thing here. And I'll meet you at the room. He said, you go on up to my room. And uh, I'll see you in about an hour, hour and a half. And sure enough, he did. And that's when Bud hypnotized me. And all the all this session is in this book. I mean, the whole thing. 
and it 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 really scared scared me to death when I started reading it because I one thing I never knew nothing about it. The memory's coming back now. And he put I guess a post hypnotic suggestion in my head that as I could handle it, you can remember it. Right. And since I seen it and it came out, now I won't listen to the tape. They there was an old cassette tape and Philip put it on CDs and he has the actual tapes and all, but I never did listen to it because I didn't want to hear it. But I get the book out when I remember a little something about being hypnotized and what was going on. I try to read that part of it. And, uh, and it's pretty scary what all went on in there. And it was mostly a lot of it was from 1973 and it was a lot more detail in it than what I remembered or could recall. One thing, there was a couple parking down there that had a car and I remembered the tag number on that car and I couldn't believe it that I could even remember. Hmm. I, you know, I couldn't remember the tag number on my car then. So I, I looked these people up. I got an investigator and I had him look them up. And this couple was down there parking and making out in a car. And I noticed the car and I got the tag number. Well, they got married just shortly after that. And he recently died. And she's in a nursing home. And I went to see her. And she was an eyewitness to all this. And I said, well, can I use your name? And, no, you can't. I said, she said, I don't want nothing to do with it. Then her doctors and all come in, you know, and ask me to leave. So I'm not going to call her name or nothing because sure. I don't want the media to swarm her. But anyhow, that was really shocking to me to remember her tag number, and I couldn't remember my own. But there's a lot of stuff in this book. Like I say, if it went to a, if it went to court, this book would stand up in court. It's that well documented. A lot of people uh, run it down a little bit said it wasn't edited just right and all, but it was edited the way that I wanted it. I don't speak proper English and I don't do when I write something, mm -hmm. it's from the heart. It's not from an education. I don't have much of an education, but I must I, tell you something, my friend, you've got one hell of a heart. Oh, I love people. And, uh, and when I write, it come from my heart. Calvin, I, we have to take our final break. I, I really appreciate you coming on. I'd also like to thank Philip Mantle for helping us to get you on to this show. I've had the pleasure of knowing Philip for many years, and he's a fine gentleman. He is a great person. I love Philip to death. All right, my friend, please stand by. Exxon Nation, Calvin Parker is my special guest. He is the gentleman behind a book entitled Pascagoula, The Closest Encounter by Calvin Parker. It's available right now on Amazon.com. And Calvin and I will be back as we wrap up this hour here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, just on the other side of this break. Don't go away.
Exxon Nation, Calvin Parker is my special guest, and uh, Calvin is the author of Pascagoula, The Closest Encounter. It's available on Amazon.com. And first of all, Calvin, I'd like to thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story with us here on the Exxon. And I'd also would like to thank Philip Mantle for helping make this interview possible. Calvin, what, what did you learn about your encounter, the missing time encounter? That we know what happened in the first encounter going back to when was it uh, so, uh, October the 11th in 73. But what happened in the missing time encounter when you went fishing? Well, when I was uh, fishing, mm -hmm. I found out later, I, I really think that it's two types of uh, beings that's out there. And my first encounter, they seem to be pretty decent, you know, right. they seem to really kind of care a little bit. Maybe it was like an experiment. But the second encounter, the one I had when we was fishing, mm -hmm. and uh, they was pretty rough. I mean, that was a terrible, terrible place to be right there. They was more abusive than anything. And I guess that's why that Bud Hopkins put me in where I wouldn't remember it, but just as I could remember it and as I could handle it. But uh, there's things that they did that's just unbelievable to man. And I was wondering what the difference was. But, but uh, you know, I guess there's a difference in people here mm -hmm. on Earth. You know, we got some good people, we got some bad people, and we got some that don't care about nobody. And I, the the last one was more like a experiment than a uh, abduction or anything. I want to know. And the first one was kind of, well, there's stuff that we need to get out and need to tell you. Sure. So, um, why do you think you were chosen? That I don't know. I've asked myself that a many a times. And do you, since that last. Uh, uh, that last encounter going back to the island, have you had any experiences or contact with any extraterrestrial since then? Not that I know of. And I I really hope I mm -hmm. don't know more, but I, I do feel like that maybe the whole world is fixing to have contact with them. You know, you never know. I think, you know, in order to kind of save this planet, they're going to have to. Because they need it as much as what we do. Right. That is so true. We're all part of the same family, kind of. We are. How, and, ha how has your, your encounter changed the way you look at life? You know, I would really like to know. How, I think if this hadn't happened, I'd stayed right there in a small town, had the same job, retired after 25 years. Mm-hmm and uh, just been a normal person, but that all changed. I couldn't keep the same job. There's no telling how many jobs I had. When somebody found out who I was, I'd leave. And it, it was just, you know, just been a solid drift. And finally, I came back to the coast and uh, Mississippi coast, and I bought a house, and then during the Katrina didn't come and it flooded. We got oh, eight no. foot of water in the house. And destroyed everything, but we picked the pieces up and went. Whatever happened to uh, Charles Hickson? He passed away a few years ago. I don't even know the date he passed away, but uh, they say he had heart trouble and he just passed away. But I still see his uh, 
son every now and then. Actually, his son don't live too far from me, and uh, we don't see each other regular, but we did go fishing a time or two together. I was just going to ask so, you if you still go fishing. Oh, every day. Really? Most of the time, I wait till about 1 o'clock at night. I love to fish at night. You're out there by yourself. It's nobody bothering you. It's kind of cool. The bugs is gone. And uh, I catch myself about 1, 2 o'clock in the morning, leaving out and coming back at daylight. Do you find yourself looking up to the sky? Every night. When I go out at night, sometimes I lean back and uh, just kind of lazy fish and sit there and just watch the sky and see what goes on and comes. And, you know, you see some pretty neat stuff like shooting stars and all yeah. that. You know, I'm just looking for anything. I guess another time, the scariest I ever been, I was on the boat and it was about nine in the morning me and my wife was fishing and i had laid down on the bench we have a big nice pontoon boat mm -hmm. and i laid down over i was propped up she wasn't paying attention and it was a good year blimp just about 200 foot above her head and that scared the devil out of us we didn't have no idea it was there but uh you just watch for things like that and while I'm getting to it, I wanted to thank Philip, you know, that we was talking about me putting the book in redneck thing. Philip tried to leave my words the best he could where everybody could understand them and my spelling and everything. I know I don't use proper grammar or English or anything, but he knew that if he went to changing a lot of stuff, that would turn me off right then and I'd be out of there. So he left it the best he could and he straightened it up and uh, i've seen a couple of people try to ridicule and that's not philip that's me philip did an excellent job putting this book together well he is a professional and a gentleman at that he is how do you deal with the skepticism that you've faced over the years well you know that's kind of easy in a way everybody has their own mind and they know mm -hmm. how to believe they know what they believe. The ones that believe, believe. The ones that don't believe won't never believe. And then there's some that's in the middle. And all I could tell them, if you have any doubts, buy this book, read it, or study it. Don't read it. Just mm -hmm. go through it and kind of study on it a little bit. Put the facts in there. And I think by the time it's all said and done, you'll, you'll at least have an open mind about it. What are your final thoughts, Calvin, to the members of the Exxon Nation who are listening around the world tonight, who are on the fence as whether there is life out there or there isn't? Well, that's kind of easy for me, but I've been there. Mm -hmm. Walk out the door and look up at the sky. If it's clear night, look at all the stars. All them stars has planets. And you would have to be pretty closed mind to uh, think that there's not other life somewhere in this universe or other universes. Now, we might not never meet some of them and probably won't, but it's got to be other life around. And it even spoke of it in the Bible in different places. Do you think that they are trying to communicate with us for a good reason should we fear them I don't you know it's like anything else 
you know, you a person could get scared going to the grocery store yes. because of some of the thugs out mm-hmm. there. And I believe that their life is like anybody else, but I also believe that there's a lot of them that want to help us, and we're destroying our planet, and we got politics even that destroys this planet. Yeah. And uh, I, th- I think they just want to help us before we do destroy this planet because they need it. Like I say, I think it's a stopping off place for them as well. And maybe they've already destroyed their planets and they just hunt another one so we could all coincide together and live together. I don't know. I've got about a minute and a half before I have to say so long to you, my friend. Um, Do you ever dream about these encounters that you've had? Sometime I do, but uh, most of the time I don't. And when I do have dreams, they're not bad dreams, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, I dreamed one day I was uh, on this first encounter that I was sitting there talking and uh, we was just going, she was just listening to me or it was listening to me. Right. And uh, we was just talking about what we needed to do here. Now, I never did get no answer from her. So maybe, maybe the human race is just not ready for it. But I think it's getting close. My next question is why are they putting up a Star War thing uh, for the starships? That's an excellent question. I, Maybe one day we'll know. Yeah. I think that uh, the government probably knows more than what they're telling us. And they can't. It's kind of like an Austin Wells deal. I remember back when uh, he got on the radio and mm-hmm. he was a fake invasion. But people were in a panic in yeah. And I think the government might have learned a lesson from that. And, uh, you know, they're not going to cry wolf and and get everybody in a bad panic. Calvin, the time has come, sir, when I must say so long to you. I want to thank you so much again for joining us tonight. It's been a great pleasure talking to you. And I hope that we have the pleasure of having you on the show again someday. That would be great with me. Thank you for having me. It's my great. I've enjoyed it. And as well as I have, sir. And once again, my thanks also go to Philip Mantle for helping make this interview possible. And explanation, if you'd like to get your very own copy of Calvin's book, it's entitled Pascagoula, The Closest Encounter by our guest, Calvin Parker. It's available on Amazon.com. I'll be back on the other side of this break with the news. As we continue here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center and studios in beautiful Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. And you're listening to us on the Talkstar Radio Network, X-Zone Broadcast Network, Mutual Broadcast Network, iHeartRadio, TV, and watching us on the X-Zone TV channel on TV. I'll be back. Don't go away. Mm-hmm. 